0: So Money episode 1480, Simple Investing Strategies to Build Wealth and Confidence with Tess Wearsmith, founder of Wealth with Tess. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money.
1: And a lot of times you're afraid because it's just unfamiliar. Like I guarantee you've done way hard. If you're listening to this, you've probably done something way harder than learn how to invest. It's just that we don't get educated on investing. So it's
0: unfamiliar. So it's scary. It's scary. Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm Farnoosh Tarabi. We're dedicating the show today to going back to the basics and learning about investing. Our guest is Tess ware She's the founder of Wealth with Tess, a financial education platform that helps women professionals and entrepreneurs build their wealth and their confidence with simple investing strategies. And Tess's passion for helping others came from her own investing mistakes early in life, a mistake that cost her over $80,000 in less than five years. She'll talk about what that was and how we can steer clear of that. But eventually she found her footing and discovered, you know what? Investing is not difficult. If you're afraid of investing, it might be because you're afraid of something else and not actually investing. Tess has over 10 years of experience in the stock market, real estate, and businesses. She's grown her net worth by half a million dollars over the last four years, again, with simple investing strategies. Tess has offered our audience her free financial independence checklist. The link is in our show notes. Here we go. Here's Tess Wearsmith. Tess Tess Wearsmith. Welcome to So Money. It's so nice to meet you. I've been following you. It's nice to meet. It is so nice to meet you. I've been listening to your show for such a
1: long time, and it's so helpful to hear the different perspectives. So I'm super grateful to be here. Oh my
0: gosh. Well, you know, sometimes social media is helpful. It helps (laughs) if you know where to look and I've been doing this a little bit on the show or I've been bringing to the show, the folks, the ladies, the men that I admire on social media, because I do think it can be very distracting and there's a lot, I get, I I get asked all the time, like, how do you figure out, you know, who to follow and who to trust? And, you know, I, I think I have a pretty good instinct um, and I, I can tell when someone is coming with, you know, authenticity and just is real. And that's you, Tess. Wealth with Tess is your platform, which you came out with this platform, this financial literacy empowerment platform about a year ago, but you have been on this journey of mastering your money for a while. And before we were recording, you said that the story kind of began with a grieving process. So maybe take us to the beginnings of how you began investing and not just investing in the market, but I know you're an experienced real estate investor. This is part of what you teach your audience. But this for you began um, kind of in a dark place, right? Yeah, I would say the business itself came out
1: of grief. My investing journey started really early on. and, And I have to say right off the bat that I definitely had some privilege growing up that allowed me to be able to invest right away. So I was fortunate enough to have an athletic scholarship to school, so I didn't have student loan debt, which is massively life-changing. And then I graduated into a recession and found myself in the strangest do- job working on cruise ships as an aerial acrobat. That was my first job. Wait, and- what? <laughs> yeah. That's <I> gotcha. was- <laughs> it's a real job. It's like Cirque du Soleil, but not quite as cool. Like Cirque- That's
0: some crazy <laughs> physics, doing acrobatic aerial movements while on a moving vehicle. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it wasn't super safe. In I mean, I'm sure it was safe. It just <laughs> That's so, right. How much did that pay? So it paid. I got hazard pay because it, there were some things that weren't paid. But I think this was 2010. I made $60,000 out of college with hazard pay and I had no expenses. They paid for all my food, all my rent. So I was able drinks at the bar were a dollar. So I was able to save a lot of money really early on. And I grew up very terrified of not having enough money. My, my mother drilled that into me. So I thought, great, this is a weird opportunity for me to save a bunch of money. So I, I put it all in the bank and then eventually knew enough to know that I needed to start investing or do something with it. But the messages that I had been taught were, it, it felt almost irresponsible to do it myself. I didn't feel like I had enough time. I was super afraid I was going to do it wrong. And I thought it was really, really complicated. So I ended up hiring a financial advisor. Mm -hmm. Fast forward to my late twenties. Now I'm back on land. (laughs) Um, I've done some real estate investing, so I'm starting to feel more confident. And I thought to myself, I really want to know what they're doing. And then when I dove into what my financial advisor was doing on my behalf, it was not in a good place. There was once I learned more and I didn't learn this all right away, this took years for me to figure out. Yeah. what did you learn? Um, So I learned that first of all, they had me in about 30 different mutual funds in each of my retirement accounts. Um, A lot of those funds were duplicates that were almost tracking the exact, the exact same indexes. So some of them were like basically the S and P 500, Um, which for those of you that don't know, that's that's an index that's the top 500 largest companies in the United States. And so very commonly funds will invest in something like that. I had three funds that were pretty much all investing in that same index, but at different fee structures. So I also had tons of high fees, the fee for the advisor itself, the fee for the platform itself, I was paying well over 2%. And then in addition to that, yeah. In addition to that, um, she sold me an annuity that ended up. Yeah, I was in my mid twenties, and this annuity locked up my money for, um, t- basically, until I'm sixty-five. Um, and for those of you that also don't know what annuity is, um, it's a very complex product, lots of fees, and I, there was no need for it. I was set up just fine, and so you know, I can't get that money back. Like I had a lot of money shame around that for a long oh. time.
0: Wow. First of all. I'm very sorry. That's not an easy lesson to learn. Anyone listening, public service announcement, look at how the fees are being structured in your portfolio. What's your good rule of thumb? I always say if, if, if a mutual fund has more than a one or one and a half percent fee, expense ratio, sometimes it's called, there's probably something cheaper And that sounds little, but it compounds and you're investing and you're getting those fees taken out year after year after year. I did the math once. The first year I did this podcast, I spoke with Tony Robbins who had a book about money and he was my first guest. And the biggest takeaway, like immediately, immediate value add from doing this podcast. He was like, look at all the fees in your IRAs and your various income. And do you know, like I made some serious changes. And I had a financial planner at the time. And when you spoke to your planner, by the way, that saved me thousands, tens of thousands of dollars, I estimated that one move. But when you spoke to your planner about what you have, what you had discovered, what did she say?
1: Well, it's interesting that you bring up Tony Robbins because that's the first book I read that started to open up uh-huh. my mind to fees. So then I went through very methodically and I wrote down all the fees. And I mean, I'd even say point for an index fund or, or a simple... Yeah. Uh, like 0. 0.5 is even high. There are very low percentage funds that you can invest in. And so I asked them about why I was invested in so many funds. And they, they said diversification, which I could, I said, yeah, of course, you want to invest in different things. That's really important. But this was well diversified to the point where it didn't make sense. And some of the fees she did eventually disclose that they get commission on some of the funds uh-huh. that they had put in my account
0: was she a fiduciary? I don't yes. understand. So how was that allowed? I thought if you're a fiduciary, you must disclose when it is, an, especially when it is a retirement product, maybe that wasn't the law back then, but you know, cause the law keeps going back and forth. I'm not sure where we are right now, but I think like a yeah, financial planner has to bring be upfront about this. It's fine if they want to make commission, but they got to tell you where they're compromised. So I, I totally, so I would
1: say the fiduciary standard was lower this is like mid 2015 2016 when all this is happening so the fiduciary standard did change in 2018 and and i think that It was probably a combination of me truly not understanding everything that was being passed to me. Like, I'm sure there was paperwork and I'm sure it was buried in paperwork, all the commissions I was paying and all the fees. But when you're overwhelmed by investing in the beginning, and so for anyone listening that feels overwhelmed by this stuff, there's so much paperwork. It's intentionally complex, I think. And so, you know, back they might have disclosed it, Farnoosh, it's possible, but I definitely not in a way that I could actually understand What was happening. Mm. So, yeah. And the annuity itself, I mean, the annuity itself, I've since asked financial experts. And, you know, the fiduciary standard too is loose. It says, you know, act in your best interest. That's not super strict. Like, that can mean so many different things to different people. So I think she could justify and say, and I, I asked her about the annuity and I said, you know, how does this make sense for me? And she said, well, you wanted to make sure you had enough money consistently in retirement. So I don't know, you know, you can justify things in weird ways.
0: And I read that that quote unquote mistake, although I would say it's the financial advisory's mistake, not so much yours, it cost you over $80,000 in five years. And that's the fees and the financial products like the annuities that you did not agree with.
1: Yeah. And I don't, I haven't done the math out of what that would have been compounded over time. And, and that's something that kept me up. I was devastated, like full <laughs> tears. It was so sad. And, you know, fortunately, like I said, in the beginning, I'm very privileged. I've made up for this mistake many times over. And thankfully now I'm in a successful investor. I have rental properties. Like I am doing just fine. And the silver lining of all of this is I'm probably doing better than I would have been had I not, had this realization pretty early, right? I was lucky to discover this in my late 20s because now when I work with clients that take my beginner investing program, a lot of them are older. They're in their 40s or 50s and they've been paying these fees or they have funds that, they have accounts that aren't even invested. That's actually happened. Like I've seen someone with a financial planner that has a Roth and there's not even investments in the Roth. So, you know, learning this stuff as early as you can is really valuable because figuring it out, way later is, is, is tough. And so I am thankful that I figured it out pretty early.
0: Well, I'd love to get some of your inv- investing advice and, and not so much for the young cohort, like the just out of college cohort. Cause I think when you're in your twenties, although there's a lot to learn, you do have time and you have time to ride the volatility. You have time to make mistakes. You have, you know, time to let it ride. Unlike those of us in our 40s and 50s and older, I get questions from people who are, let's say, 59, and they've just started investing. And they may have just started investing last year, which was not a great time to start necessarily. Uh, And so now they're like, should I withdraw? What's your advice for those who are in later stages, who may be just beginning? What's the approach? It's got to be different from somebody who's 25.
1: Yeah, 100%. I mean, the first thing I would say before you do anything is to figure out your goals. Like, where do you want to be in retirement? What are you going to need in the next few months? Like, first of all, cover your bases. Like a lot of people will say, I really want to start investing. And you're only successful in investing unless you have you only a successful investing when you have a solid foundation. So making sure you have an emergency fund right now in a high yield savings account. Those those are returning 3-4%. That's a great guaranteed super safe return. So that's a good place to start right now. And then I think also after the last few years, weird decades of bonds, bonds look to be in a better position moving forward too. So as somebody that's older if you can learn the basics of investing and you don't need to put all your money in stocks. You can put some of it in stocks. You can put some of it in bonds, which is a lower risk investment. It's still an investment, but you're not going to see the fluctuations and the volatility of stocks. And- if you're thinking to yourself, "Okay, I need to invest in stocks and bonds. How do I do that? That's I have no idea where to start." There's a lot of great free resources on how to get started with that. And you know, if you're somebody that wants to do it on your own, but you don't know if you want a financial advisor, there's great platforms with technology that'll help you learn how to do this. So, I love robo advisors for yes. a lot of folks, honestly, because I think that they're pretty low fee. You put in your information. So if you're in your 40s, you'll put in your information and they'll know, okay, you're a little bit later in life. We want to make sure your exposure to volatile investments like stocks is a little bit lower. So you can definitely learn to create your own very simple portfolio. But if you're uncomfortable doing it on your own, you don't have to. There's a lot of great ways to set up a really simple portfolio that's a little bit less risky for people in their later years.
0: That's really good advice. And I like to hear that that was sort of what I told our 59-year-old listener, because she also said that she didn't have a lot in savings. And so... Yes. First, it's about looking at what you need today and what you can afford to risk in the stock market. If you can't afford to risk much in the stock market because you don't have enough today, then you got to put investing on the back burner, even if you are 59. Because you're 59, you're not retired yet. What if you lose your job tomorrow? You still have to support yourself. You're not going to be able to you know, maybe get back in the job market right away. As we know, we have an ageist job market. And so being real, you gotta think about how can I at least get that emergency fund together before starting to invest. All right, you are a real estate investor as well. I can see where that may have been fruitful over the last few years with interest rates so low, but now as interest rates are getting higher and prices are coming down a little, but some, but not enough, I think, to compensate for the rise in interest, mortgage rates. What's your advice? What's the strategy now as the market economics have really changed? You mentioned you're living in Worcester now, which, by the way, is where I was born Uh, I didn't have a choice growing up in Worcester. You chose Worcester uh, as as a place to invest. So I also want to hear about that and why you chose that location. And then we can get into Worcester too, because that's fun. (laughs) Sure. Have you been to the Regal Beagle? (laughs) I haven't. I haven't. It's right by Holy Cross. I well, it may be gone by now, but you know what? Yeah, no, there's some good restaurants and stuff happening in Worcester now. It's changed. You should come for a visit. <laughs> Maybe I will. Maybe I will. Well, definitely for the book tour because I. It's like in the first on the first page of, the, yeah. of my book. Talk about Worcester.
1: So. Sorry, the the question we're asking now is real estate investing. So, yes. It's a big question. I will say it right off the bat that similar to my foray into stock market investing, I also made it big mistakes when I started investing and thankfully I started with a very small property actually in Tampa, Florida and With real estate investing, there's so many different ways to do it. You can invest in single families, you can invest in multi-families, you can house hack, which is probably my favorite option, and I'll talk about that in a second. If you're thinking about investing in real estate right now, there are definitely still opportunities to build wealth through investing, but it's much harder than it was 10 years ago. You need to be really sure on your math and really conservative in terms of like, what it's going to cost you for repairs. What are the interest rates right now? How is that going to affect your mortgage payment? And so the math is still the same. It's just Mm -hmm. harder to find deals. And quite frankly, I think if you are somebody that wants to do it part-time, you have to be realistic with what you're able to manage. Like right now, I thought about investing in another property. And right now I don't have the time or energy to go find something that's going to be a decent deal. It used to be the case where you could kind of just find stuff easier. You can even find stuff on the market on Zillow that would cash flow for you. It's a lot harder now. There's a lot more competition, but that doesn't mean it's not still possible. Um, The other thing I would say is that if you are somebody that is trying to afford your first home, and that is super hard, especially for millennials right now, we have a whole other conversation about the unique challenge that millennials are in from a financial perspective to buy your first home. But one thing I do think that everyone should consider is a house hack where you buy a property that has two units and you live in one and then you rent out the other. And if you can do something like that and you're willing to compromise, obviously there's some compromises you need to make there. That is an amazing way to get into real estate investing, have something close by that you can manage and learn from, and also immediately reduce your living expenses. So if you're thinking about real estate investing, I still think there's some amazing value to get into it, but it definitely is a tougher time. Like you'll see a lot of real estate agents right now say like, it's always a good time to buy. And eh. It's, mm. it's a weird time. It's a weird time. It's not time. always a
0: good time for everyone to be buying. It's, yes. it's, It may you know what I mean? Like I always believe that your time has to be right for you. The time has to be right for you. It's not about what's happening in the market. It's are you ready? And certainly we have to take into account the financials in the market because sometimes we have a certain budget and like the market doesn't really allow for that budget. But maybe there are ways we can adjust our expectations and what we want if we really want to become homeowners. But let's take a case study. So you have, to your point, you have bought a two family, a two residency in Worcester, Massachusetts, which, which is a central Massachusetts city. It's the second largest city in Massachusetts after Boston. I grew up there. The New York times famously called it nobody's first choice to live in Worcester. (laughs) This was also, (laughs) this was also in like the seventies and eighties. Worcester, uh, had a bright future. First of all, it has like 10 universities and colleges. So it's a magnet for people who want to get educated and hopefully stay and give back to the city and, and, and get jobs. But the verdict was out for a while. And I don't know. what. Tell me now, what's Worcester like? Why did you choose it for your next real estate venture? Sure. So I will say that... In general, if you're interested
1: in real estate investing, tier two cities are definitely a way to go. So like you said, Worcester is the second largest city in Massachusetts. It has definitely historically not been a lot of people's first choice as Boston has becomes so incredibly expensive and people can't afford it, it has become a much more desirable place to live. And because of that, there's also been a lot of improvements to the city. They have put a lot of money into, there's a ballpark. They actually moved the Paw Sox, which was the AAA baseball team from the Cape into Worcester. And they have a Woo Sox mm-hmm. AAA stadium. It's beautiful. There's a lot of good restaurants, but it is a, there's a lot of opportunity here because it is an up and coming city and it's been up and coming for decades. I don't know if it's arrived yet, (laughs) but, um, that's why I chose, I chose Worcester as a temporary place because there is a lot of good stuff happening here. I'm okay with making the compromise because I wanted to get ahead financially. I found a property that I liked and my mortgage just as a case study, my mortgage is $2,400. The the, it's a side-by-side two family. The other unit, once I have been, right now rents for 1700. I'm finishing wow. the third floor and it'll rent for 2100. So essentially, I'm basically living here for almost free, um, which mm-hmm. if you even just do that for a couple of years, that is life-changing as far as what it gives you. And for me, all this whole journey is about having time freedom and flexibility and security. I grew up very afraid of not having enough money and the amount of, peace and calm I get from knowing that I have lower expenses and that if I lose my job right now, it's not my living expenses. Aren't as crazy. There's a lot of benefits to being financially secure. Um, to bring it back to real estate investing though, the house hack is a little bit different, right? Because I'd be living here anyway. If you're investing in real estate right now, you also have to think about that. Like if you lose your job, can you cover you know, a vacancy, like there's a lot more variables right now that you really need to think about if you get into a property. And as I mentioned right now, it's a little bit more of a complex market. I'm not looking. It doesn't mean that there's not opportunities, but you just really got to think about like, if everything goes wrong, do I have enough to manage this property?
0: Yes. Because things can go wrong. I remember a guest, Janice Torres, came on our show and just had a nightmare of an experience investing in a multifamily, living in one of the units, renting out the other. First of all, she couldn't get the rent that she thought she could get for the rental units. Then there were all these unexpected repairs, floods. She was living in New Jersey at the time she sold it at a loss she just couldn't get rid of it it continues to be a, such a traumatic experience for her it has taken years before she's even dipped her toe back into the real estate market i think she just bought a property in puerto rico where her family is from which is wonderful all this to say really do like the worst case scenario math which is i think what you're saying i love what you're saying about fear because it echoes my thesis in a healthy state of panic which is that fear can be in this weird, unexpected way, your freaking superpower in your financial life, in your career, in your personal life, if you are willing to sit with it and understand what it is trying to tell you about your values and what is important to you. So what did fear as you experienced it as a kid too, which is not when we have this intellect, right? To be able to like master our fears as kids. Yeah, but it stayed with you. And I think probably through reflection, you, you developed a genius around this. What was that process for you like? How has fear helped you, aided you in your financial life? That's a great question.
1: So I would say very early on, you know, my mother was, I had two very different situations at the same time. My mother had, extreme fear of not having enough money she still is afraid she doesn't have enough money and she has plenty to live on for many many years after she will she will leave the earth so her fear exists today she, she's in her 70s she still has that fear um, just to make sure that's clear of how afraid she was and then by contrast um, my father who's from Puerto Rico actually um, he's broke and spent a lot of money and and I, in my when I was a kid I thought he was super wealthy and successful and I thought my mother was struggling and not doing Doing well. And you know, now of course the opposite has happened, which is so interesting. So for me, I think I had this combination of fear of not having enough while also wanting to have enough money to be, to put it frankly, cool, like my, my father. And so that combination made me really interested in investing, but also afraid to lose money because I saw the anxiety that my mother had. So that was really valuable when i started investing and and really why i went up with a financial advisor is because i was afraid i was afraid to lose all my money and so i think the best thing about having fear if you have fear around money investing that's okay but you still need to take action and learn that's a great opportunity to say okay i'm afraid of this what can i do to reduce my fear and learning and educating picking a small subject and getting familiar with it is something that's going to help you be able to move past that fear. It might not necessarily ever remove your fear. Like I'm still always afraid I'm not going to have enough money, which is ridiculous for where I am now. And I'm always afraid Mm -hmm. that something's going to happen, but it also allows me to plan. I'm also educated enough to know that in the stock market, Uh, over 20 years, you're very likely to not have a negative return, probably less than 1%. I know that because I've learned and now I'm educated about the stock market. So that's a way to help, you know, take my fear and control it and apply it to something that can help me build wealth. So I don't think, I totally agree with you. I don't think fear is a bad thing at all. It can be a catalyst for really smart investing, but you do just want to make sure that you're not paralyzed by that fear. Like figure out what, what you're afraid of and then
0: learn something that can help you move past that. Don't be afraid of the work. We think we're afraid of money, but maybe we're afraid of the work that we're, that we're learning we need to, to do to basically eliminate the fear. Like the fear is not going to go away because you ignore it. It has to go away through action. And that action has to come from within a plan, a commitment, Learning, education, all of that. So, yeah. well, Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, I, I, I really appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And and
1: a lot of times you're afraid because it's just unfamiliar. Like I guarantee you've done way hard. If you're listening to this, you've probably done something way harder than learn how to invest. It's just that we don't get educated on investing, so it's unfamiliar, mm-hmm. so it's scary. Right. But once, so you have to before you say I'm bad at money, which I hear all the time. Are you bad at money, or have you not really spent any time to learn the basics and to to understand it. That's a totally different thing than not being good at it. It just means you haven't spent enough time with it and that's okay. There's always still time to mm-hmm. learn.
0: So now with all your programs, what are the most, you mentioned one of the, the misnomers, like I'm bad at money. What are some of the other financial myths or preconceived notions that we have about investing specifically because that's your expertise that you hear a lot um, from your cohort of students? and And what's the advice around how to dispel that myth? Because I mean, these narratives are so deeply ingrained. It's it's one thing to be like, well, don't believe that. Rewrite your narrative. But again, there's work to be done. So what is the work too? 100%.
1: So some of the other myths that I hear are, it's, it's super complicated. Investing has to be super complicated to be successful. Um, You had an episode a few months back with uh, Jeremy from Personal Finance Club. And what I love about Jeremy is he talks about investing. He's a very successful guy and he invests in one fund and he doesn't touch it and he calls it a day. And so there's a lot of ways to invest that are very, very simple. We just hear a lot of this financial jargon and actually created a a free resource on this just with twenty six investing terms and what they mean in like normal human language. So you can actually digest them. And when you start to learn the dissect the financial jargon, it actually becomes much more straightforward. So I'd say the biggest myth is just that it's super complicated that to be a good investor, you have to have a complicated investment portfolio. That is the farthest thing from true. Um, The other myth I see all the time is that I don't have enough time to manage my own investments. If you are set up a portfolio, a very simple one, something like just a couple funds, maybe a couple index funds, a bond index fund, and a stock index fund, or something very simple and index fund is index, by the way, is just means list. So it's a list of stocks in a fund. If you set up those simple investments, you don't have to manage them every month. And in fact, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be adjusting them all the time. So that's another myth is it's going to take a lot of time. It's really, really complicated. And then I think in general, just feeling like you don't have enough money to get started. That's another one that I hear a lot too, is people say, well, I only have couple hundred dollars, or I still have a ton of student loan debt and I don't want to have to pay that off first. It is really important to understand the interest rates of some of the debt that you currently have, because if it's low interest, like something under 6%, you can actually start investing. And mathematically, it's probably going to work out for you to start investing sooner than paying off all your debts. You don't necessarily have to be debt-free either. So I think those are the most Common myths that I can think of off the top of my head. And then as far as how to dispel them, I really think it starts with your money stories. (laughs) Like really you have to dial it back. You know, you can start learning all the jargon and you can dive into a book, but if you don't take the time to do the self reflection and really understand like why you believe what you believe, then it's going to be really hard for you to dive into a a course or a program and feel like you're going to be able to be successful. And that's, and when you do that, like you have to give yourself grace. Like we have so many messages bombarding us from our parents, from the media, especially as women. Like that's all we could do a whole I'm um, you talk about this all the time on your podcast. Like there's just so the intersection of who you are and how you see money is so complex. So I think before you dive in, really understanding like where you're coming from and what your narrative is, and then when you start to learn, you, you'll be aware. You'll be like, oh, I, I'm thinking this because my mom told me this when I was young or whatever. And so it's, yeah. it sounds crazy, but like, that's really where I think it's important to start is do some journaling and think about what yeah. what you're afraid of. And then you can start saying, okay, like what's something easy I could do? So one thing I love talking about a lot is 401ks. And the reason I like talking about 401ks is because you can understand a lot about investing in just this one account. You can understand what investment options you have. You can understand the basics of how it works. It's an automated retirement account. So rather than sitting, once you you know get past your, once you're ready to start learning and you're excited, you don't have to learn everything there is to know about investing to be successful. You can start with something you already have. If you have a 401k, like get into it. Like, what is it about? How does it work? And and I like that approach rather than trying to understand everything all at once, because once you understand a small corner of investing, the rest of it will be pretty easy. So I think to, to come full circle and answer your question, Farnoosh, I it's about figuring out where you're coming from, what your money stories are that might be holding you back, and then mm-hmm. picking a smaller area of investing to learn.
0: Yeah, starting small and going back to what you were saying about the messages that we get from the media and our own, you know, growing up and our surroundings or our environment making people feel like investing is scary and we don't have time and it is complicated. When you start to see those patterns, you realize like, it's not me, like it's a industry that is repeating these things to me, being conscious of that, I think you can start to laugh at it.
1: 100%. And then, I mean, going back to where we started, right? Like my story started with a financial advisor and I would get these packets, like these 20 page packets of prospectuses of all the funds I was invested in. And it seemed so complicated one of the most empowering things you can do. And one of the things I love about when women go through my program, the the most common thing they say is I have less anxiety and I feel so much power and confidence because this is such a big area of my life that I've always felt was so complicated because every time you log into your account or you get a prospectus or you hear this messaging from the media, it sounds so complex and it's intentionally that way. And that's why I'm trying to do everything I can to help people learn the basics. Because once you learn them, it's just so empowering and it can truly change your life.
0: Thanks so much Tess. I so appreciate you and everybody follow Tess online, Wealth with Tess because not only is she full of investing knowledge and wisdom, but you are quite the traveler and it's just fun to watch all of your adventures as well. Thanks for taking us on that ride too, living vicariously through you these days. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yes, yeah, so I just went to Iceland. It was I just did a post about Iceland. A lot of people want to go
1: there. It's it's a it's a hot spot and it was amazing. So I am one of the things I am very grateful to have financial independence is to be able to travel. And, and yeah, I'm I'm feeling very lucky today that I get
0: to do that. Well, thanks for spending time with us. Thank
1: you so much, Farnoosh. It was so nice to finally meet you. I love your show and I appreciate it.
0: Thanks to Tess for joining us, Wealth with Tess. Her financial independence checklist is in our show notes. Thanks for listening. And I hope your day is so money.